Hey folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully, you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. But if you're like me, you probably don't have the time to do that, right? So maybe you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens can help prevent, treat, and cure cancer? No, but it can powerfully help you audit your next checkup. Your doctor will notice your improved health or you're going to get your money back. Here's the most amazing thing about it. I started using Field of Greens a year ago. My cholesterol is down. My blood sugar is down. My weight's down. My health is up. My sleeping patterns are better. My metabolism is up. If you want to experience what I've experienced, go check out Field of Greens. Jump into the ring here. You're going to get an enormous benefit. And it's so simple. Single scoop, a couple of seconds, healthy lifestyle all day long. Now, thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. Yes, it's Monday morning, the Monday after a very busy and newsy weekend, uh, whether it was on the Iran nuclear deal front where they're getting closer to a Biden deal with the mullahs. We'll have to see how that looks for America. Or the Ukraine-Russia war, where clearly a lot more violence occurred, but also a lot of significant reports that Russians are suffering much larger losses than people expected that maybe the Russian army hasn't performed as one would expect as a superpower, certainly a regional superpower. And then John Durham lit up the weekend. That's right. John Durham lit up the weekend with a very important filing Friday night. We had it first here at Just the News. Other people have been talking about it. He responded to Michael Sussman, the Clinton lawyer's request to the court that his case be dismissed. Michael Sussman actually argued that lying to the FBI should be protected by the First Amendment. That's one of the things he argued. And secondly, he argued that his lie wasn't material. And John Durham came back and said, no, 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 no. I'm going to give you that in a second. Wait till you hear what that is. It's a really interesting and very powerful uh, court filing pushing back on the consequences of the Clinton line. We're going to get to that in a second. But first, let me give you a quick rundown of where we are today. We're going to have a great day all around. Got a great interview coming up with Tim Stewart, the president of the U.S. Oil and Gas Association, one of the most important industry groups for energy exploration, energy production in America. And if you were driving by a gas pump this morning, you probably saw gas prices almost everywhere in the country are now at $4 and above. $4 and above. They were just $2 a little over a year ago. It is a big bite out of everybody's wallet, whether it's the transportation industry's wallet, the shipping industry's wallet. If you're a commuter and have to go to work 20, 30 miles a day, you're paying a lot more all of a sudden. You're paying double what you paid just over a couple of years ago. Not a great moment. And we're in this position because of conscious decisions the Biden administration made. What are those decisions? Well, 
let's shut down the Keystone Pipeline in America, take away Canadian and American oil, and let's approve the Nord Stream 2 pipeline in Europe that empowers Vladimir Putin. Let's increase the amount of imports of oil coming in from Russia. Those are all head-scratching decisions, but the reason we're in the position we are now, there's an interesting dynamic. Right now, over the weekend, we saw the Biden administration send a special delegation to Venezuela. Yes, that Venezuela, the run by the one run by Nicolas Maduro, the socialist, who just a year ago, President Biden was arguing was no friend of the United States and even said that we needed to take more Venezuelan refugees, political refugees, because of the reign of terror that Maduro has inside of his country. So a year ago, Venezuela's bad. Now we need Venezuelan oil. And if they do a deal with Iran, we hear some of the White House officials saying, well, we'll get Iranian oil. So let's just think this through for a second. We would prefer in this administration to be reliant on Russian, Venezuelan, and Iranian oil rather than, you know, Texas oil and drilling and Florida oil and drilling and Louisiana oil and drilling. I'm having a hard time processing that, and I think you are too. It's probably why our prices are doubling. The scenario doesn't make sense to everyday down in the trenches Americans, and I think that's a big part of it. And I want to go back because I don't think a lot of people appreciate this, but if you go back to my book, Fallout, the book I wrote about the Russian and Ukraine scandals, I spent a lot of time with my great co-author, Seamus Bruner, talking about an earlier decision by the Obama-Biden administration. So before Joe Biden made us more reliant on oil and gas from Russia, he and President Obama and some of their advisors, Hillary Clinton chief among them, they made us more reliant on Russian nuclear materials, uranium. Not only did they sell Uranium One to the Russians, they actually signed a series of contracts with Russian nuclear energy providers, a la Uranium providers, to give away as much as 20% of the market. 20% of American nuclear fuel today comes from Russia, not from the United States. It's so much of a thing that a lot of the uranium mining in America has slowed down or shut down. So Vladimir Putin not only has a hold over your gas tank, he may also have a hold over your electricity and your electrical utility provider because of those Uranium deals. Two Democratic presidents, two decades apart, same concept. Let's give things away to Russia, even though Russia might not have our best interests. And then today, we inherit that when they're in the war with Ukraine, Americans are reliant on Russian uranium and Russian oil and gas in ways that are clearly detrimental to us. Why? Well, you're paying double at the gas pump. You're paying four bucks now. You used to be paying a little over $2. So there is a consequence. All right. Well, Tim Stewart is going to make that entire scenario more understandable and also put on the table, what is the oil and gas industry? Even though the Biden administration is still putting its foot on the American oil and gas industry, what is that industry doing right now to try to overcome the crisis to help Americans get through this difficult time to stabilize prices. And of course, I want to ask the question, does the American industry like the fact that oil is at $100, $120 a barrel? I'd like to know that. I think a lot of people think, well, they must love these high prices. I'm not sure that's true when you talk to the industry. The people I'm talking to actually are worried about its long-term consequences on oil and gas production in America. All right, before we get to the commercial break, real quickly, I'd like to talk a little bit about the John Durham filing over this week. And I think it was a very important filing. It really put into perspective 
that lying to the FBI has a consequence. In fact, John Durham says Michael Sussman's lie, his claim that he was bringing this information about an alleged secret communications channel between Vladimir Putin and the Kremlin and Donald Trump. By the way, that never existed, right? It was a bogus thing. And in fact, we now know there was reason to believe it was bogus and that the Democrats had reason to believe it was bogus. But forget that for a second. The fact that when he brought this to the FBI, Michael Sussman drops this on the FBI in September using his access to the general counsel of the FBI, James Baker. Sussman, former Justice Bar official, walks in these allegations and he tells the FBI, I'm doing this solely as a good citizen. I'm not doing this on behalf of the Clinton campaign or any client for that matter. I don't have a client I'm doing this from. We now know that to be false. He charged these contacts and did a lot of work on this for two people, the Clinton campaign and a tech executive by the name of Rodney Jaffe, who is aligned with the Clinton campaign. But John Durham responds to the no harm, no foul claim of Michael Sussman. Michael Sussman recently asked the trial judge to dismiss the charges in this case, saying, hey, first off, lying to the FBI should be detected by the First Amendment. Not historically, it hasn't. And two, the lie wasn't material. It didn't have an impact on the investigation. And John Durham came in and said, oh, not true at all. This effort at political deceit, that's actually a word that John Durham's filing uses from Friday night. Michael Sussman engaged in political deceit, a very harsh word, but a very accurate word. But what they're basically saying, what, what John Durham says is, had Michael Sussman told the truth that I was dumping this on the FBI in the middle of an election on behalf of Hillary Clinton's campaign and a tech exec with political motives aligned with the Clinton campaign. In fact, he was hoping to get a big appointment from President Hillary Clinton should she become president. Had he told the truth, John Durham says the FBI might not have opened the investigation into the Alpha Bank garbage that we now know to be completely debunked and discredited. I'm going to read you just a couple of graphs from this very important filing because it basically debunks the idea that there was no consequence, that this was a lie without consequence. He basically says history could have been changed if Michael Sussman had simply told the truth. Quote, had the defendant truthfully informed the FBI general counsel that he was providing the information on behalf of one or more clients, as opposed to merely acting as a good citizen, the FBI general counsel and other FBI personnel might have asked a multitude of additional questions material to the case initiation process. Given the temporal proximity, timing to the 2016 U.S. presidential election. The FBI also might have taken any number of different steps in initiating, delaying, or declining the initiation of this matter had it known at the time that the defendant was providing information on behalf of the Clinton campaign and a technology executive at a private company aligned with that campaign. That's John Durham. Pretty strong words. And also, he really knocks down the idea that Michael Sussman is some victim a vulnerable guy who should be protected under the First Amendment because if he's prosecuted for this, he might not come forward with future false allegations to the FBI. This is what John Durham writes. Far from finding himself in the vulnerable position of the ordinary person whose speech is likely to be chilled, the defendant, Michael Sussman, a sophisticated and well-connected lawyer, chose to bring politically charged allegations to the FBI's chief legal officer at the height of an election season. He then chose to lie about the clients who were behind those allegations, using such rare access to the halls of power for the purpose of political deceit 
is hardly the type of speech that the founders intended to protect. More really strong words, big pushback from John Durham in this investigation. This case is probably going to go to trial. It's going to be a big one. And we're going to find out a lot about the truth and the extent of the Hillary Clinton campaign's effort to foist false allegations against Donald Trump, first to try to defeat him, and when that failed in the election, then to try to harm him at the start of his presidency. Very, very strong information all around. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Tim Stewart, president of the U.S. Oil and Gas Association, one of the industry's top experts, going to hear to help us make sense of why do we have $4 gas and what can we do about it right after this commercial break. Hey, folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully, you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. But if you're like me, you probably don't have the time to do that, right? So maybe you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens can help prevent, treat, and cure cancer? No, but it can powerfully help you audit your next checkup. Your doctor will notice your improved health or you're going to get your money back. Here's the most amazing thing about it. I started using Field of Greens a year ago. My cholesterol is down. My blood sugar is down. My weight's down. My health is up. My sleeping patterns are better. My metabolism is up. If you want to experience what I've experienced, go check out Field of Greens. Jump into the ring here. You're going to get an enormous benefit. And it's so simple. Single scoop, a couple of seconds, healthy lifestyle all day long. Now, thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. As promised, somebody that really understands the energy markets. If you're scratching your head because you drove by the gas station this morning and the price was over $4, well, uh, here to make sense of that is Tim Stewart the president of the U.S. Oil and Gas Association. He's been on the show before and helped us make sense of this crazy period we're in. Tim, great to have you on the show. And John, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. You and I were talking off here. I can't even imagine three weeks ago finding ourselves in this extraordinary moment where the Biden administration wants to get gas from Venezuela and Iran so they can cut off gas from Russia, but no one's talking about, inside the Biden administration at least, unleashing America's energy resources. What is going on? 
You know, that is a great question. And I have this conversation all the time. And I wish I had clear answers, but my response is, I, I, you know, it's usually the, the guy at the gas station that's talking to you about it. But I, I, I say to people, look, imagine if, if you go back to January 21, Imagine if the administration had come to the small farmers in the United States and said, you know, we don't, we really don't like you. We, we don't like what you do. And even though people use what you, what you grow every single day in their lives, we know it's better for you. So we're going to prohibit you from planting crops this spring until further notice. And we're going to demand review of everything that you have planned. And there's only going to be two or three people at the Department of Agriculture who worked on our campaign who will review what you do, and on top of that, any method you move, use to move your ag product to market, well, we're going to review that as well, and we're signaling to your local bank that we're going to scrutinize all of your, your dealings to make sure you don't violate any proposed climate impacts on your dairy farm or on your, on your wheat farm. That's essentially what the Biden administration did to the federal onshore oil and gas industry. And then if you fast forward to the fall of 21, imagine how you'd respond if the administration said you know, to those farmers, so exactly where's your wheat? Where's your crops? Prices are increasing. Why don't you harvest more wheat? Yeah. And you say, you say well, you, you put a stop, a stop work order on all of us for, for 90 days, and we can't get from here to there. And so you're exactly right. We're scratching our heads saying, exactly, how did we get here? How do we go from being energy independent in December 2020 to begging the Iranians to put 2 million barrels on the market. It's just, it, it's really hard for us to, to grasp. So that's my, that's my initial uh, uh, expressing of frustration. And I will try and be more rational from this conversation here on out. You, you got me on <laughs> well, I think you're, <laughs> I think you're pretty rational according to most folks, because uh, that's what everybody is sitting there wondering. There's absolutely no sense to this strategy. And people are now really starting to fill it in the in the uh, pocketbook. I mean, if you run a business that has to transport goods or you're somebody has to commute 30 miles a day to work, you're suddenly feeling the crunch. I mean, it's uh, it is a real scenario now. It isn't threatened or it isn't something on the horizon. It's here. I want to go yeah. back and look at geopolitical history just for a second. I wrote a book called Fallout that took a look at one of the earlier efforts of the Obama-Biden administration to make us reliant on Russian energy, a period from 09 to 12 during the so-called reboot with Russia, where we signed a series of contracts for long-term uranium supplies to come from Russia, ship it over here. That kind of drove a lot of our uranium business out of the uh, uranium mining out of the American market. We did that. Then 2021 comes around and we shut down the Keystone Pipeline, approved the Russian uh, pipeline Nord Stream 2 and increased the amount of uh, imports coming in from Russia. Uh, The combination of those two things, it seems as though Putin has the upper hand in our energy market right now. Yeah, he really does. Although I will say, uh, you know, the advantage we have is that the the oil and gas market really is a global market. Uh, global market with right. dozens and dozens of countries that produce. The uranium market is much more constrained. Uh, and you're exactly right. You know, if you go back to those old Obama era negotiations, uh, the, they essentially did to the, the, the hard rock mining and uranium mining industry in the United States, you know, what they're trying to do with the U.S. oil and gas industry right now, which is shut them down and make them go away because they don't fit the political ideology that, that that they have the bigger you know nuclear is obviously a, it is a clean energy it is the cleanest energy that you're going to get right but you can't get from here to there you can't meet their net zero without nuclear you can't have nuclear without some sort of uh, uh, production of nuclear fuel which means you have to have hard rock mining and, and mining and again it's this inconsistency you're exactly right putin has us uh, has us uh, over two barrels so to speak 
Yeah, literally. Yeah. Now let's it's look at some of the options that are out there. So the president seems to, he has a delegation down talking to President Maduro's regime in Venezuela. A year ago, Biden was bad talking uh, or down talking uh, uh, Venezuela, opening up uh, an opportunity for Venezuelans to come to the United States, saying he's a bad guy. Now we're asking for his oil again. Uh, and then you also have uh, hopes that maybe we'll get an Iran deal in the Biden administration. They're hoping for that and get some Iranian oil. The idea that Iranian oil and Venezuelan oil is somehow better than American oil. Can anyone describe that <laughs> or understand the philosophy behind it? it? It is incredibly difficult to understand the philosophy. And the reality is that the administration, John, has, put its, has positioned itself into this corner, and it is incredibly difficult to get out. You know, oil inventories are five-year lows, and displits are down. Production is slowly increasing, but refiner inputs and utilization are still at five-year lows. Yeah. And because of this policy position and their own actions over the last 12 months, they can't do several things. Here's what they can't do, okay? They can't import more from Canada, which is our biggest trading partner, because of the Keystone component and the other infrastructure challenges. And so you've done away with any additional pipeline capacity, and so Canada's off the table. So what, what's your next question? Well, you, well, you go to the Saudis, and the Saudis is a possible option, but their excess, their excess production is limited, and they're not going to really uh, open the spigots just to, to meet the Biden administration's demand. They're frankly enjoying refilling their coffers that they had yeah. from the previous price war. So you just and you have to take Russia off the table. That's you know not an option. And ironically, the Biden administration doubled our Russian imports from 12 to 26 million barrels between January and May of, of last year. And so what do you have left? Well, you have two options. One, you import from the Iranians and the Venezuelans, two terrorist sponsors in states, or you open up U the U.S. domestic production. And for whatever reason, the administration seems to think that the Iranian and the Venezuelan option is better than the Texas and the Oklahoma and the Wyoming and the North, the North Dakota and the New Mexico option. I can't figure that out. I was hoping that you were going to explain that to me. In a <laughs> I'm lost. I, I, I'm scratching my head every morning, so I'm not going to be able to do that. <laughs> yeah, but it really is frustrating. You know, and it then is. yesterday, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, regarding domestic production, uh, the White House sage, Jen Psaki, went on a Twitter tear yesterday to spin the facts as hard and fast as an Iranian centrifuge on, on, on oil and gas prices and U.S. Right. production. Yeah, it's it's worth taking a look because it is it is an alternative reality compared to what most of the markets are seeing right now. Yeah, so. it's really uh, the, the the messaging uh, doesn't match the facts a lot of times. I think people are we understand we're in a difficult moment. Anytime war breaks out, right? But a lot of times yeah. you hear these excuses like, "Well, wait a second, I just checked the facts. That's not true." And I think yeah. it's really it's really maddening uh, people as as they look at it. Let me ask you this: If uh, President Biden said, "You know what?" I made a mistake. We got to get back to American energy production. How long would it take for American production to ramp up? What is it? Two, three, six months to really get going? And then where are the log jams? Is it the pipeline? Is it the refineries? What are some of the limitations given what has happened over the last year? Yeah, that's a great that's a great question, and it maybe allows the analogy. But I liken it to when the city comes out and shuts off the the water in front of your house to work on the line and then you turn the, the water back on and it sputters and spurts and spits and then it starts to, to fill in. That's kind of how the, the U.S. domestic uh, production works. We had that big stop work order placed on the, on the federal component 
And anybody listening to this needs to remember that the federal government actually controls about 35% of the total U.S. oil and gas resource in the, of all the United States. They, they have about 35% of that, and the production side of that is about 10%. And so, like any business, if you were to take 10% of your production offline almost immediately, there's going to be sputters and, and spits and, and you know, air in the pipes, so to speak. Uh, but, John, what we're seeing is, is this price the climate that we're in now, and, and the industry hates it. I, I, can't, I will tell you, you can't find a single CEO who says, yes, it is, this is great long-term for our business. It's not. Uh, high, uh, there's always the Goldilocks zone for oil and gas production, and it's a, probably about half of where we're at right now, to be honest with you. When you're at 65 or $70, it's, uh, people are making money, and they can reinvest in, in uh, infrastructure. And yet, you're not subject to the inflationary pressures. Right. So, so we hate this. We 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 want. We're doing everything we can to bring prices down. Sorry, go ahead. I interrupted you. No, no, that's a really important point. I think a lot of people think, oh, the oil oil industry loves what what's we're going through now. No, they no. don't. No, <laughs> they it's, don't. It, it's yeah, it's it's tough to justify to Wall Street because you you have this. It, it used to be the industry. The saying was, uh, make a dollar, invest a dollar. Right. And when your investors look at you and say, wait a minute, you, if you have significantly much higher profits, we want to return on that investment that's higher. And right. that is, is a judgment call that the industry has to make between return on investment and capital expenditures. And so it's a really de- delicate dance we have to do. Well, you're starting to see rig counts creep up. Um, it was a little bit flat last week, but you're starting to see more rigs uh, on the uh, out in the field, the problem we have is just like any other manufacturing facility, we have we have workforce issues. We can't get enough crews to work, um, and and uh, the bigger challenge, frankly, is and you, know, we, you and I had this conversation last time about the efforts for the administration to to overall debank the industry, to um, uh, insist have Wall Street insist that fossil fuels is a bad bet, uh, that, that they're better off putting their their money into uh, alternative energies, and right. so the capital, the access to capital is an issue as well. In answer to your question, though, I think you'll see the price climate start to stabilize. We're still fighting with what I call Putinflation, you know, right. which is what did Putin actually do? There was a there was a fair amount of risk built into that pre-Ukraine invasion, uh, but I think the U.S. industry is certainly in the position to stand up. And and get production back online to where we were in December of 2020. If the administration would do one thing, John, it would be this, which is go back over the last 14 months and undo everything that you did. Then we could get we could get there absolutely uh, and and as quick as possible. Yeah, an amazing thing. Just one one flip of the switch could change this entire scenario really 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 quickly. I want to stop for a second because we've been talking about our reliance on Russia, but there's another place sitting in the background that seems to have similar sway over our markets, and that is China. Whether it's rear earths or just general production, we saw it during the particularly during the pandemic when we learned that our drugs and most Americans discovered, hey, wait, our drugs and our medical materials are coming from China. They may not have our interest. That is another pressure point in this very delicate ecosystem, isn't it? China's hold over other parts of the market. It is. And, you know, this is this is what people need to understand, too. And I, if I could stand on the mountain, blow it, blast the trumpet, we have to understand that half of every barrel of oil that we produce goes for transportation. And that's the most tangible and immediate thing that 
ticks off you and me. I mean, when I cost me $70 to fill up a Ford Fusion for crying out loud, uh, that makes me mad. The reality is that the other half of that barrel goes for manufacturing and agriculture. And we have yet to see, I think, the long-term impacts of this high price climate in the manufacturing sector. And so to your point about China, you know, uh, the supply chain issues that are, are continue to just, just, you know, resonate throughout the, the, throughout the world. We don't think, I don't think we fully appreciate uh, the other um, true constraint, which is the ability of China has to uh, really control our manufacturing uh, capacity. When you got 6,000 products that use petroleum, that use petroleum as a base material, everything from a toothbrush to a battery right. to to an ibuprofen, and when such a, a significant portion of the manufacturing capacity is sitting in China, and they have the ability to decide where those products go and how they're used, we are in a in a real world of hurt. And so, long term, we have to solve two problems: we have to get back to being energy independent, and we have to be able to bring back the manufacturing base back to the United States, where we are we are largely free of those supply chain. Constraints. It seems as though the everyday Americans are beginning to appreciate this. We've been living and busy and not thinking about this in the last couple of years have made us think this way. Is there enough people in the policy sphere, the leadership sphere, political leadership sphere talking this way? Or uh, are we missing an opportunity at this moment while the American public is conscious to these risks, uh, not acting more aggressively? Well, you know, the answer is no. I had a really interesting conversation with a reporter uh, from one of the main one of the main um, uh, media outlets a couple weeks ago, and the question was asked, "Well, who is the point person uh, on this issue? Who is the point person on sort of energy supply in the United States?" Uh, she asked me that, and I said, "Well, we've had a hard time from the administration's perspective. Who is actually calling the shots?" And she said, "Well, I haven't been able to find anybody either." And I said to her, you know, I said to her, look, uh, well, you can find out, let me know, too, because we're having a hard time. The reality is, is, is there is, you know, the administration is made up of career uh, employees. Those yeah. agency employees have been there a long time. And then the political appointees. And my my interaction with the administration over the last year and two months has been there are very few, if any, people who have uh, an energy background. And I, you know, I, I, I may have said this to you before, but there's the, a challenge when people who are making energy policy have not driven themselves to work in years. When you have people who, uh, you know, in the top level who have come from, who have been taking black car services to and from work and been between their private sector jobs and being picked up in their, in their, uh, in their administration jobs and the, the minions who work in those mid-level uh, decision-making processes who are millennials who don't own a car, but they take an Uber, right. they don't pay, they don't fill a gas tank, so they don't know how much gas costs, and so they don't really care. And this is the problem, like I say, is you have, when the energy policy is being made by people who don't, uh, who don't drive themselves to work, you find a real, a real problem. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I think people are, are that lack of being connected to the everyday experience. People talk about elitism. This is one of those moments where the, the gap between the powerful and the everyday yeah. Americans really becomes exacerbated because they don't feel the same pain we do and uh, exactly. those in power. Yeah, it's an amazing moment. That's a great point. Can I, can I, you know, I'm, you and I talked last time about energy poverty yep. and how millions of families were starting sure to be pushed. 
the reality is is there you you fall into poverty two ways one you either lose your job or inflation catches up and passes you and we now have when you and i talked about november or whatever it was we had mentioned that was starting to happen, and now you see the full force of, of energy poverty hitting For moderate sure. income families, and, and it is really frightening. And to my earlier point about the manufacturing impacts and energy prices on manufacturing and agriculture, I think we're just starting to see that. You know, I, I come from a farm background. Uh, my brothers are farmers who are running the family farm, and they had, there is a serious question with regards to will we be able to fertilize the Ford fertilizer this year? It's up 200% over last year, plus the, the supplies are significantly reduced. And so when you have farmers who are trying to make that judgment call on do I fertilize or do I just take the risk, yields will be impacted. So, you know, wheat, corn, all the basic things that we take advantage of every day, take for granted of every day. Next year at this time, we may find ourselves in an actual food uh, foods challenge. And mm. so it's they're frightening things that are underway. Yeah, you aren't kidding. As you look out over the next 30 days, you said maybe we might be reaching soon a point of a little bit of price stabilization. How high do gas prices go before they level off based on what you know now? What's your guess? And uh, what should we be watching for as warning signs or easing signs over the next 30 days? Well, that's a great question, and 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 dang it, if I I, I would I would be in a different business if I could. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Things like that. You'd be calling lottery I, I tickets. Say, <laughs> yeah, if if there's a bone of Gilead out there, John, I'd say look, don't bet against the U.S. industry. Yeah. Never bet against the oil and gas industry. It's a fool's bet. I mean, we we rise to the Good occasion. Advice. And and I, I I look at all of the companies that are members of the U.S. Oil and Gas Association. I, I look at my my fellow uh, trade associations and the companies they represent, and we are doing everything we possibly can. And I think there is a this sense of a renewed sense of absolute urgency that where we we have to. I think the industry is realizing. You know, Wall Street is one thing, but the American consumer is another. And I if the issue is you know, placating Wall Street versus providing for the consumer, my responsibilities to the consumer. Yeah. And so I think you're going to see rig Great counts time. increase significantly, uh, at least on the on the, the non-federal grounds, I think you're going to see significant production increases. And I imagine that if you and I have this conversation in, in May or June or July, it'll be very different. Uh, I think Putin, the Putin inflation factor will have been, will have been mitigated and, um, uh, if we could get some decent federal policy in place, we could have a, a pretty broad portfolio of production coming to both of federal and state and private lands. Yeah, absolutely. Really remarkable. Um, this is an amazing moment in history, Tim, and I think that most Americans uh, are wondering, what, is there anything they can do? What can they do to try to get some sanity, to try to push their leaders into a better decision? You see uh, some bipartisan efforts, right? Joe Manchin's out there. I think there's some other people out there. Heck, even uh, yesterday or over the weekend, uh, Nancy Pelosi said, I'm all for getting Russian gas out of the and oil out of the market. What could everyday Americans do to make a difference, to, to push a lawmaker? What, what message should they be giving to their policymakers if they get that opportunity? Well, I, I don't, I, I, you almost have to call it a deathbed conversion of the other side, right? <laughs> it really is. You know, there's yeah. nothing quite like uh, I've seen the light. Hard. Yeah, I've seen the light, you know, and I believe, come on in, the water's fine. <laughs> to Joe Manchin, I will, you know, I, I'm, I was born and raised a conservative Republican, and I 
will take my hat off and chew broken glass for Joe Manchin, not because of the oil, what he did for the oil and gas industry, what he did for America. You know, he, he was that lone man in front of the, the column of tanks, you know, that were ready to run over the U S industry top to bottom. And he, and we, every American, a debt of gratitude, but I would say, you know, for the listeners, you, you keep the pressure on, and you help these members understand fully what is happening, uh, what, the impacts that they see in their daily lives, whether it be trying to drive their kids to school or feed them breakfast or what right. your small business is experiencing. There is nothing like the pressure of the second half of a midterm uh, election coming down to cause people to to, to uh, right. have uh, rethink their policies. So yeah. that's the most important thing, you know, yep. and hang in there and don't lose faith in the industry. We will, we will do everything we can to, to bring back balance uh, to the markets, despite the administration's efforts to, to not let us do that. Yeah, I think a lot of people are encouraged to hear that today. And I'm so glad you were able to join us, Tim. You always make sense of a very turbulent world. And we're grateful for that and all that the U.S. Oil and Gas Association does for America. So thanks for the time today. And I have a funny feeling we're going to be talking to you a lot more over the next few months. Well, by all means, and thanks for letting me visit with you, and good luck, and, and go forth and do good things, all right? Absolutely. I couldn't agree more with you. <laughs> all, right. all right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to have a little more discussion about the state of elections in America right after this commercial break. All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote, it's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I, committed to preserving our cherished values and actively opposing the leftist agenda that's sweeping across America. Just look at their recent victories. AMAC members helped to push forward an investigation into practices that inflate drug prices. They successfully defeated ranked choice voting in order to protect traditional voting methods, and they've also helped block a federal takeover of elections. As AMAC's membership grows, Washington is listening. Every new member strengthens this movement. If you love America, visit AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News to become a four-year member for just $30. That's a great discount. AMAC is not only better for America, it's better for you. Membership gives you access to the AMAC magazine, free social security and Medicare guidance, money-saving discounts, trusted news, sweepstakes, and so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale, four years for just $30 at AMAC. By joining over 2 million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMAC, AMAC.us slash just news. That's AMAC.us forward slash just news. Hey folks, if you're a homeowner and you're like me, you want to protect your home, right? But when's the last time you checked on the title to your home? If you never have, listen to this. A new report on homeowners shows we all now have $16 trillion in equity. That's an all-time high in America. That's why you need protection from a scam the FBI calls house stealing. That's when the equity in all of our homes is the target, sadly, of scammers. If nobody's watching the title to your home, these scammers can transfer your title to their name, take out loans, and your equity could be gone. Poof, gone. 
You have to protect your equity from this despicable crime right now with triple lock protection from my good friends at HomeTitleLock.com. The first step is to check on your home's title to see if it's still in your name. Sign up with your address at HomeTitleLock.com and be sure to use the promo code JUSTNEWS. They're going to send you a complete title scan of your home's title and your first 30 days of triple lock home title protection. That's legendary protection, by the way. It's free. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS. One more time. Go to HomeTitleLock.com today and protect your most important asset, the equity in your home. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. As promised, a very special guest. He's a former Navy intelligence officer, one of the biggest thought leaders in conservative space today, and the host of Human Events Daily. Joining me right now is Jack Posibiak. Jack, great to have you on. John, thank you. Always a pleasure. It's an honor to have you. Uh, Last time I had you on here, you made a bold prediction, which is Joe Biden's approval of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which he gave to Russia while shutting down our pipeline here in America, was going to destabilize uh, Europe. I do believe that prediction came true, didn't it? Well, it certainly did. You know, John, I actually just went back and listened to our last chat. I remember we did that. It was the day after Thanksgiving of last year. And we, we ended up putting up the whole headline of it as trouble brewing in Eastern Europe, retraction of American power on the world stage leads to instability. And I was going back and listening to it. And exactly what we were saying was the strengthening of Nord Stream 2, the allowing of this to go through without any response from the United States whatsoever is only playing right into the ability of Russia and Moscow to destabilize all of Europe. It kind of puts the central European powers like Germany and France in check quite a bit. Now, you know, we certainly didn't say that it would lead directly to a war in Ukraine, but we did say that the territorial disputes have a way of spilling out into wider wars. That's exactly what we said, uh, time stamp on day after Thanksgiving last year. It is remarkable. And uh, when you look at this now, obviously he's intruded Ukraine in a big way. It's a major invasion, a lot of death and mayhem in the country. Uh, does he have ambition? You look at this, does he have ambitions to go beyond uh, Ukraine now at this point? Well, I think that, you know, currently, if you look at the scope of the Russian operations, you know, a lot of people have pointed out that it's a lot slower than the Americans fight. Uh, they have a different mentality of fighting. They do these encirclements as opposed to the sort of the direct uh, attacks like for, you know, decisive strikes like the U.S. would do. But at the same time, that slowness is costing the Russian economy and costing uh, Putin's personal coffers more and more money every day. So the question, I think, becomes not so much does he have intentions or not, but can he afford it or not? And I think the United States should be doing um, just looking at it from a military operational perspective, what we should be doing as our policy of, number one, seeking to contain this war so that it doesn't go beyond the borders uh, that it currently already is. But then, number two, looking to tank that price of energy. Look, this entire war was predicated on the fact that they have the ability to sell that oil to Europe, to sell it to China, and as well as sell it for confiscatory rates. So every day that the price of oil goes up, that means the value of the Russian resources, those reserves of oil, those proven reserves, are becoming more and more valuable. So it should be priority number one after obviously, you know, trying to secure a negotiation or cease any kind of ceasefire that you can get right now and get the humanitarian disaster cleaned up, get the civilians as far away from the fighting and stop the fighting. But then number two, uh, joint track, right? Remember walking chew gum at the right, same time. Exactly. Shinsaki likes to tell us. <laughs> Uh, that we should be dropping this price of oil, and that means unleashing the power of American energy. 
Yeah. And on that front, we have Joe Biden uh, with a delegation down in Venezuela asking for Venezuela or hoping that maybe we'll get some Iranian oil if we get a new nuclear deal. Uh, Why not oil from Texas and Louisiana? Why is it so hard for him politically to just ramp up uh, uh, production here in the United States? It's amazing, right? So we'll we'll do deals with the mullahs of Iran and the gangsters of Caracas, but we can't do a deal with the Albertans, right? You know, because of those. (laughs) There's truckers uh, got Justin Trudeau on that, so maybe they're telling Biden, don't you, you know, open up that Keystone XL pipeline? Don't you get the, that American oil? Because, and I do see a lot of people responding to this and saying, well, you know, even if they were to drive this up and turn it on and start up fracking and nuclear and new drilling, well, it wouldn't just happen overnight. Yes, but understand how the market works here. Yeah. It's predicated on the futures market. That's why the barrel goes up so high so quickly and it can fall just as quickly if they start getting this. Is, there's a lot of speculation. This is the biggest market in the world, the energy market, of course, obviously. Right. So it's that speculation that you want to drive down. If you start making these moves, I guarantee you, you see that price drop overnight. And that's going to make all those war planners in the Kremlin start to look at their checkbooks and, so, and start to say, you know what, uh, you know, maybe this operation is a little bit more costly than we realized. Yeah. Look for an end game. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, what's the off ramp? Yeah, exactly, which I think they must be looking at a little bit now. It's been a really difficult week for them. When when you step and you look out, there are three things that the Obama-Biden team did in the early uh, 2010 timeframe. They signed a series of contracts to give reactor fuel, uranium business, to Russia, taking it away from the American market. Then, of course, they've had Russia at the table, both for the 2016 Iran deal, and now they need them again for this deal. And then you have the growth of oil exports last year to a a, a long time high for Russia under Joe Biden. All three of those don't seem to make sense, given Joe Biden's rhetoric against Russia. He was always preaching against Russia, but it seems as though we've played footsie with him on a lot of different things. How do we untangle ourselves from that? It's really amazing. And and one of the big drivers of this also comes out of Wall Street. It comes out of the World Economic Forum, BlackRock. And this is this idea of this ESG social credit score system, because remember, Joe Biden and the American financial infrastructure is operating under a framework that we designed that actually punishes firms for investing in fossil fuels and for which essentially is investing in American and Canadian energy. So we're punishing ourselves financially by artifice, right? By artifice in order to create this, you know, whether you want to call it the great reset or this transformation to renewables, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we've decided to do this and put ourselves in this position Whereas Vladimir Putin and the Russians said, well, if you guys are going to arbitrarily weaken yourselves, then far be it from us to not take advantage of the situation. And that's exactly what they did. So the answer to this, quite simply, is, you know, take your foot off the brakes. It's very simple to do this and it could be done very quickly. But unfortunately, uh, President Biden is so beholden to these movements and Wall Street and so many of his donors and so many investors in the United States are also beholden to these movements that they can't even pull the blinders off for a second right now. So it's amazing, right? They'll go to, um, you know, Venezuela and let them do it. They'll go to Iran and let them do it. But the idea that people here, you know, in Texas in the Permian Basin or in the Bracken Fields or Marcella Shale in Pennsylvania, Ohio, New York, you know, that would just be crazy to actually help American domestic business, industry, infrastructure, and, you know, essentially communities. I mean, the la- it's, it's literally, John, it is the America last policy on steroids. 
Yeah, it literally is that, isn't it? And now we have to worry about some of these other alliances, uh, Russia turning to China, maybe creating an alternate currency market, uh, putting pressure on the dollar to fail, to drop, to lower. Uh, how do we navigate that? What does the Federal Reserve, what does the Biden administration do to keep those things from now spinning out as sort of secondary fallout from this war? Well, look, I, I think that, you know, and, and I, I get that it's, you know, I talk to a lot of people, I'm in my 30s, and, you know, I talk to a lot of people my age, and they say, hey, let's do Bitcoin, let's go crypto, let's go all crypto, all in on this, the U.S. dollar, that's just fiat currency, forget about that. But I actually think that propping up the U.S. dollar is one of the most important things that the administration could be doing, because remember, the entire system, the entire SWIFT system, the entire economy, that's, you know, rules-based global order, uh, the petrodollar, it's all predicated on the primacy of the U.S. dollar. If we lose that U.S. reserve status, and Jerome Powell is out there now saying, well, we can have multiple reserve statuses in the world. We don't really need one reserve currency. We can have multiple reserve currencies, right? It's actually going to lead to so much pain to so many middle Americans, working class Americans, people that work paycheck to paycheck, that have, you know, you've seen a few studies, X amount of people have only $1,000 in their banking account, et cetera, et cetera. Imagine what happens when the value of your entire banking account is zeroed out overnight, right? I think that's a huge problem, and I think the social and cultural breakdown that that would predicate in the United States would be far, far worse than what we're seeing happen right now. And so that becomes a huge strategic, uh, from, in my mind, a strategic priority for the United States is doing, like, understand, they want, they're fully prepared. Russia is fully prepared to set up this second economy with China. China's right there to backstop them with one belt, one road. The BRICS nations are looking at it and saying, look, if, you know, if the United States is going to push us all together into this second economy, remember, you've got Brazil, China, India and Russia, as well as South Africa, you're talking over 3.5 billion people. It's half the population of the planet, and you're just going to drive them out of the system. We haven't even considered the secondary and tertiary consequences of this. And so, you know, the one thing I would say to the administration, to Tony Blinken, to all these guys, understand that the law of unintended consequences is not a theory. It is a law. <laughs> yeah, and on foreign policy particularly. I mean, man, we always look at this. I, I think the media has a way of boiling it down to what's checkers. You go here, you go here. It's a chess game, right? It's a much larger chessboard than just uh, uh, Russia and Ukraine right now. And I think the media oversimplifies it. I want to... Uh, Talk about one thing that I heard start to bubble up this weekend among Democrats, which is, hey, let's give some A-10s and get some uh, air, air power into Ukraine. You can't use A-10s, right, unless you have the skies secured, right? They're not they're not made to secure the skies. You have to have air superiority before they become useful as gunships. Uh, some of the rhetoric that Democrats have on Russia seems to be detached from the reality of military warfare. How can they be so un uninformed? You're talking about members of Congress and you know allegedly strategists that are that are guiding this conversation. They seem to be completely uh, failing to understand the current situation on the ground. Well, John, not only that, but I, I think the one I heard Congressman Ted Lieu said that Ted Lieu is a reserve Air Force officer. You think wow. an Air Force officer no would kidding. understand how the A-10? Yeah. You know, of course, he was a JAG, so, right. you know, he's not involved in the combat side, but you think he may have picked up a little something along the way. Sure. Those A-10s, those are intended for ground strike, right? So those are for close-in air support of ground units. They cannot be used in a situation where the Russians, obviously, they've got these S-400 systems. We don't know exactly how many across Ukraine, but we do know that they've been shown to be incredibly effective 
I'm seeing reports now that they were able to take out Ukrainian jets from over 100 miles away. Confirmed wow. kill. Right. So and the, the entire country of Ukraine is only about 700 miles across, but besides right. of Texas. So that means you put out, you know, a half a dozen of these things and with the radar, the over horizon targeting, the, the infrastructure for it, you have the ability to create essentially an air denial zone across Ukraine with only a handful of these systems. And so you're talking, by the way, you know, are you going to send the, these A-10s in without any instructions, without pilots? Are they in English? Do the Ukrainian pilots know how to fly them? Or are you going to send in American pilots? We're also seeing uh, Tony Blinken out there putting pressure on the Poles, putting pressure on the Slovenians and some of the other air forces that are NATO members about putting their jets in these older, because these are Warsaw Pact countries, they do have some of those Soviet era MiGs, uh, the MiG-29. And so if they were to put those systems in, even though they are uh, quite outdated, um, they're still, you know, the missiles still work. Obviously, they're quite lethal um, when they're used on troops like that 40-mile convoy out of Kiev. But again, consider the secondary and tertiary effects. What did Russia do the minute Blinken opened his mouth and started saying that in public? They started striking the airfields that are still left untouched in western Ukraine. Why is that? Because Russia wants to set up a situation where if those planes come in, they have to be flown from inside Poland or Romania, from uh, NATO bases, air bases that are within NATO territory. And then, again, chess match, right? So if they start flying those planes in, then Russia's going to say, well, that's a justifiable military target because you're attacking us. Now they attack them. They attack those airfields in NATO territory. That triggers Article 5. You trigger Article 5, and this thing escalates way bigger than the current situation. Yeah. Poland, you mentioned Poland, and it seems as though the Biden administration is trying to drag Poland into a more a hostile position than it wants to be. And I think I saw some statements from the prime minister saying, hey, some of these stories about us wanting to send our, our, our military jets into Ukraine, not true, not true. What's going on there? What's the, uh, what's the cat and mouse game that the Biden administration is playing with one of our most important allies in the region? Well, look, Poland and, and my family, Posobiec, Posobiec, um, right. Polish by background, um, certainly, I can say from the events of the last 12 days or so, I have a much more appreciation for why my family left Poland uh, all those years ago, because, you know, great country, but bad neighborhood. Um, and again, <laughs> exactly. caught those, those three countries, Poland, Belarus, Ukraine, are always caught in the middle between the West and the East, whether it be Washington, Brussels, or Moscow. They always seem to be the battlefields and the killing fields. Uh, the Eastern Front was by far the largest loss of life anywhere in the war. This is the area, of course, right. where the Holocaust took place. Um, and so for those countries, right, it's one thing to say, you know, we need to have a strong defense, but to actually take offensive moves against one of these major and really what they are, empires, major empires on their borders would create a situation where in very recent history, right, it's only been about 30 years since Poland is able to achieve independence from underneath this, the communist uh, Moscow-backed thugs. Um, and Poland 40 years ago was under martial law as directed by the Kremlin. So, you know, this is an area where there's a lot of living memory and they don't want to cross that line. Yeah, such an important dynamic to watch. Um, one last thing, I, the, probably the most important spectator beyond Vladimir Putin watching everything play out is China and the possibility that they're going to learn from this and make some strategic decisions about what to do with Taiwan and what goes on in their neighborhood. How self-interested is China in the outcome of this? What is the give and take they have? Because they can't be too far in bed with Russia in case uh, someone's tempted to take their markets away. Uh, describe a little bit about what they're watching for and what they might take away from the early U.S. response to this. I think China's looking at this situation and, tell, and licking their chops. 
they understand that the United States is weak right now. They, they saw what happened in Kabul. Now they're seeing what's happening in Kiev. They see how the United States has been completely shackled, almost seems totally powerless to defend yeah. people that they claim they were allies. Why? Because Vladimir Putin put nuclear weapons on the table. So China is sitting up there in Zhongnanhai, the leaders, Xi Jinping and the Politburo, which is really under his direct control, the same way Putin controls the Kremlin now. Uh, they're looking at this and saying, look, we have nuclear weapons, too. We have submarine launched second strike capability. We want to take Taiwan. If we want to keep the United States out of the fight, that's all we have to do. And then Taiwan becomes ours by force. And China, after the events of 2019 and the way that they essentially had to forcibly retake um really exert control, I should say, over all of Hong Kong, that was the end of this idea of two, you know, one country, two systems, which was supposed to be the ploy to bring right. Taiwan in. They're not going to do that anymore. It's not nope. going to happen. So either they wait a generation or two for the osmosis uh, plan to go in, or I think it's far more likely that we see a military-type encirclement, blockade, and that eventually vie for negotiations at the point of a bayonet with vis-a-vis uh, -vis our, our friends in Taipei. A lot of people worried about that in the Pentagon and in the diplomatic world that I've talked to. So I think you're right on the money with that. Jack, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. As we pointed out at the beginning of this, the last time we had you on, you made some of the most prescient comments that have sadly come true. And we're so grateful that um, to tap your expertise and your wisdom about the world. It really is a great honor to have you on. Thank you, John. I really appreciate that. And again, heart goes out for all the people that are caught up in the fighting right now. Yeah, a lot of victims, a lot of innocent victims in the middle of this. Well, we're going to be keeping on top of this and hope to get you back on real soon. All right. Thank you, John. Thanks, Jack. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up for the day. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News, where I'm so grateful you joined us today. I know these are difficult times. People are saying, oh, man, the pain at the pump is real. I'm feeling it. It's not easy to survive $4 gas or I'm going to have to make hard choices. Maybe I don't fill my refrigerator nearly as much or I don't pay the kids tuition at school this month because I'm short because gas prices are taking a bite out of my gas tank. As Tim Stewart said, the elitists who are in Washington, they don't feel that. They get driven around in cars that other people pay the gas for. They have their blue cars or sedans or government sedans. But everyday Americans are facing this very rude awakening, this very difficult choice. And I think Tim really laid that out in a very powerful and meaningful way. And I'm really grateful that he did so. Now, before we get to the end of the show, I want to always give you a opportunity to understand 
the special offers that our partners, our sponsors, our advertisers are giving every day to America. I always feel good to know that as a part of this community that we've created, that we don't just get advertising dollars and we don't just get content. We also open up extraordinary opportunities for you to get discounts, to get great offers, to get new products or services that come from class A vendors, class A companies, born in America, made in America companies. And one of those is BattleBox. I mentioned it last week. I want to mention it again. I am an outdoorsman. I have a cabin out in the Shenandoahs. I spend all weekend when I'm not working outdoors in the fresh air, along with my wife, Judy, my son, Josh. We love the outdoors. We love to camp. We love to hike. We love to cut wood. We love to go UTVing. We are outdoor people from end to start. And we're so lucky that BattleBox is one of our sponsors, one of our proud partners, BattleBox, B-A-T-T-L-B-O-X. They're your go-to monthly subscription for hand-picked outdoor survival and everyday carry gear from now until March 31st. If you're an outdoors person and you want some new gadgets, some new equipment, some new opportunities, new gear, from now until March 31st, you get a free mystery box worth $115 plus with any new subscription. So all you got to do is go to try battlebox.com try b-a-t-t-l-b-o-x.com slash just news so try battlebox.com slash just news you're going to get a free mystery box worth 115 dollars plus an incredible subscription every month you're going to get new gear that's going to get you excited about that great outdoors go support these amazing people they make this show possible they make just the news possible they make just the news not noise possible on TV. And speaking of that television show, Amanda Head and I tonight will have Devin Nunes, the former House Intelligence Committee chairman and the current CEO of the Trump media empire. He's going to be joining us to talk about the new Truth social platform and its growth, its early thing. And we're also going to break a pretty amazing story, some video footage of an arrest of Alan West's wife. It's the former Lieutenant Colonel, Florida Congressman, former Republican Texas gubernatorial candidate, The video footage raises new questions on why police stopped Mrs. West, why they did it. We have Bernie Carrick here to analyze it, one of the great police officials of all time, the former NYPD commissioner. He's going to walk us through what this video footage says and why it's raising troubling new questions about that stop. By the way, Mrs. West, was the charges were dropped. She was accused of DUI. We're going to show you tonight that she actually took a test on scene and she passed the test. She did not pop on the breathalyzer, showed that she was not drunk, and yet they still arrested her. We're going to walk through all of that in just a little bit. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports. So grateful you can join us. So glad you could be here today. We'll be back tomorrow with another big edition of this podcast and news from Just the News 24-7. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner, whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bike. You and your family need to be prepared. That's what we learned from this last pandemic, right? That's where the wellness company comes in. You know the wellness company. We have their great doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough on all the time on our shows. The wellness company and their doctors are medical professionals that you can trust. And the new medical emergency kits are the gold standard when it comes to keeping you safe and healthy and most importantly, prepared. Be ready for anything. This medical emergency kit contains an assortment of life-saving medications, including ivermectin and z 
The medical emergency kit provides a guidebook to aid in the safe use of all of these life-saving medications. So you know what you're doing. From anthrax to tick bites to COVID and even the bioweapon like the plague, the wellness company's medical emergency kit is exactly what you need to have on hand to be prepared. Rest assured knowing that you have emergency antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics on hand to keep you and your family safe from whatever the globalists throw your way. Go to www.twchealth/justnews today in order. That's twc.health/justnews and use the promo code justnews to save 10%. Hey there, it's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore, with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, experts, politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey. 